Hey y'all, my name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor at Emmanuel and Hookset. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Our goal is to be a blessing to everyone who listens as you continue on your journey of faith. It's also our hope that you'll be encouraged to find a church to belong to so you can plug into that congregation and bless others with the gifts and experiences that God has entrusted you with. Well, I hope this podcast is a blessing to you and encourages you to get out there and be the blessing. God bless. With Trials is the series that we started last week. If you missed part one, it is online right now. And I, I really hope that you'll take the time to um, spend 30 minutes or so this week and just sit down and watch part one. The title of part one was, uh, What Happens When God Says No? You go into a trial... You cry out to Jesus the way we're taught to, right? And he seems to be absent or quiet or he just flat out says no. What happens then? And we examined that as we went through scripture. And Someone had said to me, God doesn't ever say no to his children. It's always yes, wait, or maybe. And so that got my wheels turned and I thought about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he asked the Father, if it be possible, take this cup from me. And the Father said no to the Son. The result of which was the redemption of all who will place their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so we examined that. And again, I hope you'll go back. I don't want to uh, go into too much um, review this morning, uh, but uh, this morning we're going to look at another aspect of the trouble with trials. And, and this, uh, can you see that? Is that clear? That's terrible. We're going to talk about a lesson in contrast today. The trouble with trials is often we lose perspective. When trials are, are piling on you, um, uh, on me, um, and by the way, I know that you're supposed to practice what you preach. Can I just be straight with you? Not quite there yet. I'm not quite there yet. But that doesn't change the Bible from being right. And so this message that I'm preaching this morning, um, you might need some of it. But I need it more than you do. And so you just kind of in this, uh, this is sort of an internal message. Me and God are going to be talking and you, I'm glad you guys joined us today. Okay. Um, but you know when the, when the troubles are piling on and it just seems like it's one thing after another, after another, after another. Uh, we tend to focus on a couple of things that we shouldn't. We, we focus on the hopelessness of the trial that we're in. Anybody ever been there? Uh, maybe you've lost your job or you had to take a cut in pay or, or you barely make an ends meet. You can't make the mortgage, whatever. And then the car breaks down. Right? I mean, you were doing okay. I'm still praising Jesus. Um, but then the car breaks down and now you're going, well, what the heck? And then you're crying out to Jesus and he's like, nope. Mm-mm. No, not going to fix it. And you're like, seriously? You're like the best mechanic ever. <laughs> Second to Randy, you're almost as good as he is. My car breaks down. I'm like, Randy, uh, 
And so uh, you, we, we tend that, that, that piling on, we end up looking at the, at the problems and we look at the hopelessness. And then even worse than that, we tend to uh, look at ourselves and our failings. Because there's nothing like a good trial to make you see all of your flaws under a magnifying glass. There's nothing like a trial that'll make you really focus first on the hopelessness of the situation, but then look at yourself and you're like, I'm such a wreck. I'm such a mess. Look at me. Why would God even want to say hi to me in the morning? And this is, tends to be our focus. And, and contrast gets out of balance when this happens. Negativity builds. Self-pity builds. Soon you're discouraged, possibly depressed. That's the trouble with trials. And uh, this lesson in contrast is going to be very important to us. Because what happens when you focus all in the darkness, this is the picture you get. It looks very muddy. There's still a little light in the top. Can you see that? It's the moon. Um, the contrast is so very important. It's vital. How many of you guys know that I love art? To me, the perfect date would be going down to Boston into the Museum of Fine Arts. I love that. Does Trish love that? Not really. She likes the, she'll go to the Egypt part of it, the exhibition. She likes that part, the history and all that. But just to stand there and look at this painting, you know, she likes it. It's nice. It's pretty. But I'm looking at it going, oh, look at those brush strokes. I wonder how he got that effect. I wonder how he did that. Right? I, mean, I just love it. I love it. And I'm in art class at Pinkerton Academy where Chloe's going this fall. I'm excited about that. But my art teacher is still teaching there, Alan Hall. Which is really cool because we went to course night and I took her over to meet Alan. His paintings are now selling fifteen to $20,000 down on the Cape. Uh, when he was with us, he was just getting started. Of course, that was just a few years ago. So they were selling for 1000 or so. But we did our projects and we put them on the wall, all of our art projects. And, and he said, we're going to do something. Maybe you guys haven't done it. It's called a critique. And all of us kids are like, a what? It's a critique. It's from the word critic, and we're going to critique each other's work. And we're like, that's a dumb word. And, um, and he said, okay. So he went through all the things. And one of the, one of the um, most important things that we pulled out of that was so many of our pencil sketches lacked talent. No, contrast. They lacked contrast. And, and so what happened was you had a bunch of sketches that were just very bland, um, almost kind of washed out. And, and so he would take a darker pencil, like a 6B or something like that. He would go in there and you would darken up the shadows and you would blend them into the light. And all of a sudden, this okay picture that kind of looked like a person began to take shape. And you could actually see who it was. Because contrast is so important for us to discern where we are and what we're looking at. The trouble with trials is it washes out the contrast and all you see is the dark and this is what happens. And so we increase the light and we begin to see, oh wait a second, it's coming a little bit, becoming a little bit more clear. We increase the light again and we increase the contrast and we see, oh it's trees and it's a moon. You can see the stars in the sky to the point now we can see clearly and we can walk more perfectly or carefully and we can distinguish the path that lies ahead. 
Because honestly, as we're walking in this earth, we're going to be walking through some dark times. The earth is broken. The world is broken. It's full of broken people. That's why Jesus came to bring a light into the darkness and provide contrast for us so that we could discern things more clearly. Now, I know there is a problem if you introduce too much light. It's sort of the same thing. And this, this doesn't happen very often, but this is a picture of the person that's so heavenly minded. There are no earthly good, right? So, I mean, there is a point where you can walk around and, and you have no connection to the world or to the earth that you're walking in, no connection to the culture, and everything is just praise Jesus. And people look at you and like they, they can't understand you. There's no reality in your life. So there's got to be a balance. And you've got to tie the light to the place where you're walking. And so we need to be careful that everything is in its proper place. But honestly, I've met far fewer people that look at the world like that. And I've met far more and I've been that one that looks at the world the way I first introduced it, washed out and dark and struggling to even see the light. Anybody been there? You ever remember that? Remember what that was like? How about after you came to Christ? Did you ever go back to that place? Let's be honest, guys. That's the trouble with trials. We'll get back to contrast. We're going to take a walk back to where we were last Sunday night, back to the garden. This is actually a, a picture of the Garden of Gethsemane at night. And um, we, want to, we want to go back to the garden, and on that backdrop, we're going to examine contrast. And so Matthew chapter 26, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there, tablet, leather bound, paper Bible, whatever you have, or you could look at it on the screen. I know some of you guys are getting nervous. Wait a second. Uh, you should bring your Bibles to church. You should mark them up. Leave a legacy for your children. I think this is a great idea. Then Jesus came to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, right? And he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Now last week we looked at the life of Christ. He was sorrowful. He was deeply distressed. Then Jesus came to the place called Gethsemane. Uh, then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said, Peter, what, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter t into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, a second time he went away and prayed and saying, Oh, Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again. Their eyes were heavy, so he left them and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same words. And as we examined Jesus and we examined Paul last week, and we talked about how sometimes God says, No, uh, you must go through the trial. I'm not coming to your rescue. John the Baptist, remember, we talked about Jesus didn't come to make you happy. Here's John the Baptist. He's imprisoned. He ends up being decapitated at the whim of a 13-year-old girl who da danced a seductive dance before the king and asks for John's head in a charger. Here he is. He's in jail. He's discouraged. He says to his disciples, can you go double check that Jesus is the one that I said he was? Did you catch that? That <laughs> Jesus is the one that I said he was. And so there are times in our lives where we get things out of focus, out of perspective. The contrast leaves and all we're left is with dark. And here's Jesus in the garden. He is sorrowful, 
deeply distressed. And later on in that passage, it says he was exceedingly sorrowful. And he's bringing his case before his father who says, no. And then we discussed that last week. Go back. Don't miss it. It was good. So we look again at Jesus. Here's the tapestry of what we're going to go to now. He's in the garden. He's weeping. And matter of fact, the Bible says that he sweat drops of blood. He was under such duress, under such strain. And I can just imagine what his prayers must have been like as he walked into the garden. The Bible says that he fell on his face and pleaded with the Lord. Have you been there? Well, it didn't end there. In comes Judas, betrays him with a kiss. Judas, his friend, his disciple, his comrade, comes into that garden. Christ finishes praying, stands up, here they are. He's taken captive, treated like a criminal, a man who had walked into the city of Jerusalem, Hosanna to God in the highest, and we're about to celebrate Easter just a few weeks away. Here comes Christ. Where they were saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now they were beginning to cry out, crucify him, crucify him. Give us Barabbas. Friends that had walked with him for those three years. His best friends, Peter, betrayed him. Asked whether or not he knew Jesus. He said, I know not the man. And Christ predicted it. Walks to the cross alone. Stumbles and falls. I get another guy to help carry it up the hill. Boom, crucify him there. Hanging on the cross. He looks out at the assembly and he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. As he is hanging on the cross, he looks at his mother and John and he says, Woman, behold my son. As he's hanging on the cross, he looks at the thief and says, Today you'll be with me in paradise. As he's hanging on the cross, darkness overshadows the land and he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? me as he's hanging on the cross he says I thirst as he's hanging and suffering on the cross and that darkness overshadows him he takes the sins of all the world of all time into himself the most heinous and wicked sin you can think of that one sin that you hate more than any other and I know you have one may not be one you participate in <laughs> usually it's not but that one sin that you hate more than any other, that was in Christ on the cross according to 1 Peter. He who knew no sin became sin for us. So he's suffering on the cross. He's suffering from physical torture, emotional torture, psychological torture, and finally spiritual torture as the Father turns his eyes away. Finally, he says, it is finished. The punishment for our sins was dealt out in Christ on the cross. The cup of the wrath of God was poured out upon him and he knew the moment when the wrath of God was satisfied and he said, it is finished. And because he did, 
we can have a relationship with God the Father and an eternity with Him forever and ever and ever and ever. Last thing he said was, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And then he gave up the ghost. He yielded up the ghost. This is Jesus. Going into this, was he sorrowful? Yes. Was he deeply distressed? Absolutely. Was he exceedingly sorrowful? Yes. As he hung on that cross, darkness overshadowed the land. Contrast was lost. And so we go back and we look at this lesson in contrast on that tapestry. We move to Hebrews now, chapter number 12. On the tapestry of Gethsemane and the crucifixion and the sufferings of Christ becoming sin, a pure person. Have you ever been accused of something you didn't do? Anybody here suffered that indignation? How'd you feel about it? Did you enjoy it? Was it fun? Not so much. Imagine taking the sins of the world, a pure person, and bringing them into yourself. The suffering was immeasurable. Far more than just the crucifixion brought to him. And on that tapestry again, we read this. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him uh, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you be weary and discouraged in your soul. An awesome, awesome passage of Scripture. As we look at Christ on the cross, how did he endure that trial? Well, we went through the seven sayings, and you can look those up later in the four gospel records. As we went through those seven sayings, we noticed something that there was tremendous contrast in the things that Christ was dealing with. He talked with the thief on the cross and secured his eternity. Today you'll be with me uh, in paradise. As he hung on the cross, he didn't ignore his earthly duties. He did not ignore his earthly relationships as he looked at his mother and said woman behold thy son see he connected the eternal with the temporal as he hung on the cross he looked forward from that moment in time to eternity to what was set before him as he hung on the cross he understood that there were reasons that he must hang on that cross and that those reasons had an eternal and eternal significance that our redemption was worth the suffering. Now we may look at our trials and say, well, pastor, I'm not hanging on the cross and dying for people. But my dear friend, I believe our trials are used by God as acts of redemption in the lives of those that are around us. I look at Mark Littlefield, whom I just uh, wed to Sasha. In the conversations that we had. And the trial that God has allowed us to go through with our own daughter and our own family. Was able to walk with him in his trial and point to Christ. Point to eternal things. 
point to the wisdom of God as higher than the wisdom of man that we cannot comprehend all that God knows. I heard a, I heard a great quote or I read a great quote a couple of weeks ago and it said this. If we knew all that God knows, we would answer prayers in the same way that he does. If we knew all that God knows, we would say no to ourselves if we had the heart that God has. It's just amazing when you start to put it into perspective and the light begins to shine into the darkness. Here is Jesus tying the eternal to the temporal. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Dealing with earthly needs, I thirst. Fulfilling prophecy, I thirst. Amazing moment in contrast. It can be overwhelming when you're walking in the dark. We need to look to the light. We need to take the example of Jesus who for the joy that was, where was it? Was it set within him, beside him? Where was the joy? What does it say? Where was it set? It set before him. It was something yet to attain. He contrasted what he was going through with the reward or the ultimate conclusion of his suffering. You were his reward your redemption. This is what helped him to endure. You. Me? Yeah, you. I know. I don't get it either. I look in the mirror and I think, you did that for me? Because he loves us. What about Paul? Paul leads us to the same conclusion that we must allow the light to shine into our darkness and provide visibility and discernment sure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power of God uh, of the power may be of God and not of us how many guys like to admit when you're weak and last week we talked about that embracing weakness none of us heck we're Americans daggone it rugged individuals little little blizzard ain't gonna stop us all those pansies down in Virginia canceling everything because there will be snow underground now I know I know some of you guys are gonna be like I can't believe you said that they know I'm kidding they don't have the same equipment that we have to clear the roads and the sand. I understand that. Let's not get distracted. We are hard pressed on every side, you're not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. When we keep things in proper perspective. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. The life of Jesus also might be made manifest in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. That the life of Jesus also might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death works in us, life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what is written. I believe therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore we speak. Knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus. And will present us with you for all things or for your sakes. That grace 
having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. The temporal versus the eternal. Do you see where Paul is getting at today? Well, therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, even though we seem to be crushed down, even though we seem to be broken. Our outward man may be perishing, but we do not lose heart. The inward man is being renewed day by day for our light affliction. Now, here's the Apostle Paul. Let's put this in context. Now, no, Paul, the Apostle, did not take the sins of the world into his body as he hung on the cross for us. He didn't do that. He went through other trials and other tribulations. He was stoned. And I don't mean he was smoking some pot. He was hit with rocks to kill him. There are places where he faced wild beasts. He was shipwrecked. People wouldn't listen to him. He said, you shouldn't be sailing today. What do you know? I'm the sailor here. You shut your mouth and they sailed. And what happened? They hit a storm. They were shipwrecked. People were getting bit by snakes. It was a disaster. This is the Apostle Paul. And he says, well, these light afflictions, which are but for a moment. Are you kidding me? You're in, you're in stocks. You're in jail. And, 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 and listen, we think jail. I mean, the jail our guys go to, three square meals a day, cable TV, education, great stuff like that, right? Here's Paul. A jail was often a hole dug in the ground, a cistern type thing, tossed into this, into this uh, dungeon, uh, locked up and they're singing songs at midnight. He said this light affliction because Paul in this passage he understood the significance of having light into the darkness. These light afflictions which are but for a moment is working for us far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen but at things which are not seen for the things which are seen are temporary but the things which are not seen are eternal and provide us with contrast. Um, see, we need to contrast the temporary with the eternal. Can you read that? Why do you suppose? So, often the trouble with trials is we allow the darkness to flood our lives. And we shut out the light. We do. Even believers do. Trust me, I know. We, we, <laughs> the Holy Spirit's pleading with us. Hey, I am answering prayers. Maybe not the way you want them to be answered, but I am there. I'm there. I'm listening to you. And you're like, yeah, but I don't want to hear what you're saying because I want you to do this. You might even get to a place where you cuss and swear. And the further the longer you're there, the more it looks like this. Sometimes the harder it is to allow that light to shine in and we need messages like this. Look back to the cross. Stop focusing on the hopelessness of your situation and the darkness of your situation. Stop focusing inward so much on the failings of yourself. Have you come to Jesus? Have you brought yourself to Christ? Have you come to the foot of the cross? Have you trusted him for your salvation? Then come back to him and trust him with your life. He's still there. 
He's not gone anywhere. Loves you as much today as he did yesterday and the day before and the day you came to Christ. The day, your best day. Listen, this is so cool. He, he loves you as much on your best day as he loves you on your worst day. Boy, am I grateful for that. And that provides some wonderful contrasts. And so contrast is applying the light of God to the darkness in your life. Applying the light of God to the darkness of your circumstance. And allow Him to make your path discernible. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you have yet to receive the light of Jesus. Maybe you've made an intellectual assent. Yes, Jesus must be God. I believe the historical accuracy of the Bible. I believe this, I believe that. But you've not internalized it and personalized it. And you need to take that step of faith and embrace Christ alone. Not your goodness. Not your strength and your ability. Matter of fact, it's the very opposite of that. In order to be saved, you must come to the place where blessed are the poor in spirit. And that word poor means needy. Blessed are those that know they need. Have you come to that place yet? If you haven't, I want to invite you to place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not to clean up your act. Not to dress up your sin. Not to swear off of this and swear off that. But to come to Christ as you are and allow Him to begin to change you from the inside out and to secure for you eternal life that begins the moment you place your faith in him. As we bow our heads and we close our eyes, we close the service in prayer. Is that you this morning? Have you come to the place where you've trusted Christ yet? Is that you? Have you done that? Or are you relying on religion? Are you relying on your personal goodness? I hope by now, the more you look into the mirror, the more you realize that your personal goodness can never be enough and is actually an affront to Jesus who hung on the cross to pay the price and the penalty that you and I deserve. So when we try to clean ourselves up to approach him, we're insulting him. He hung on a cross to clean us up. And so come as you are. If you're here this morning, you say, Pastor boy, that's me. I, I need Jesus. I want to invite you to come down to the front at the end of the service. Peter, Clow, and I will be uh, standing down here. Uh, we'd love to talk to you about your eternal life with Jesus. If you're here this morning and you've not yet been baptized and you've not talked with Peter to schedule a time yet, I know that I think we have three men that are ready to be baptized. Um, you've come to Jesus, but you've never followed in baptism. You have questions about it. Again, Peter and I will be right down here at the front. We'd love to talk to you. Or maybe at the end of the service, as a music plays, you would just like to come down to the front and pray and talk to God 
and recognize that perhaps you, as I, have been walking in a world with very little contrast. Maybe you've been walking in the world and you've shut the door on the light of Christ as he's been trying to illuminate your path. Maybe you'd like to come down and just pray. Maybe you'd like to talk to Peter or I and say, Hey, could you pray with me? I need to let God's light shine in my life. You're, um, you're in a safe place at Emmanuel Baptist Church. See, we recognized a number of years back that we're all broken people that God is putting back together. And that while we walk in this flesh, we're going to be susceptible to falling back into habits, to allowing that brokenness to creep up and take control from time to time. You are not alone, but here you're safe. Hey all, thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more, please go to our website, emmanuelhooksit.com, where you'll find helpful links and resources and where you can contact us directly. That web address again is emmanuelhooksit.com. Bless God, get out there, and be the blessing.